Welcome to another episode of Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen here in Clearwater. I'm joined with Bob Brookover and Scott Lauber. Guys, it's, it's been a while since we uh, recorded a podcast, but we're back. It's a new season with a new manager. Joe Girardi, quite different than Gabe Kapler. It's only been a, a week of, of being around him in Clearwater, but well, Bob, what, what are your main takeaways really of the difference between Joe Girardi and the guy we had for the last two years? I think one of the things that Matt Klintak said in his opening uh, news conference about how confident and cool Joe is around uh, everybody, around people and around the players, and it, you know, it, and it's just a laid-back confidence uh, that's much different than Gabe Kapler for sure. Um, you know, but he's done some quirky things. Uh, the, one of the quirkiest we saw was he had players practicing their home run trots. Can we just say what? What would people have said if that was Gabe Kapler who was making them do that? It, it would have been an issue, but when Joe talked about it, it might have been his way to also say, run hard to first base, and when the ball clears the, the fence, then you can go into your home run trot. It may have been Joe's subtle way of telling them, we, we now hustle on every play. Yeah, it wasn't like guys were moonwalking the first base and backpedaling and doing <laughs> cartwheels. I think it it is funny to think about what would happen if Gabe Kapler did that. We probably would have written, Bob would have written a column about it. I could have wrote a story that day. It would have been like, what new quirky things is Gabe Kapler doing this spring training? But I think Bob made a good point. It really was because he said, you can do your home run shot, but you better make sure the ball is over the fence first and run hard at first base. Yeah, I think it's all in the messaging, right? Like that was Girardi's explanation for why they did it was to make sure that you run hard when when you're not sure it's out. I think from Gabe Kapler, we might have gotten something about wanting to like bring out their individualism or uh, be comfortable in who they are. And, you know, that very well might have been part of it for Girardi, too. He just doesn't say it. Joe, Joe also didn't say they presented themselves well as they rounded bases. So we had that. Presented themselves beautifully. Beautifully. <laughs> Yes, he didn't say that either. So, I mean, no beards are glistening this spring training. What's that? No beards are glistening in Philly's camp no. this spring. No, they're not. They're not. It's 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 been different, but I mean, I made this point when we did a video earlier. It, you know, the baseball itself hasn't really been that much different. We see, you know, they're, they're in this stage where they take live batting practice now. It's still as dreadfully dull these first few weeks as they were under Gabe Kapler you know it's not it's just not that it's just not that an exciting time we are getting close to games which we're all welcoming I think yeah there's no way to really make live BP interesting and Girardi even rolled his eyes sort of sarcastically when he said oh you know players really look forward to that you know it's interesting that you used the you brought up what what Matt Klintak said about how confident Girardi seems you know what sticks out for me is how easy it is to be confident in yourself and what you're doing when you come with 10 years in New York. You know, we we talked about that when he got hired and kind of the, the gravitas that comes with surviving 10 years as manager of the Yankees, the respect that comes with that. And I think it's probably a whole lot easier for Joe Girardi to be comfortable in his managerial style when he's done it for as long as he has. Gabe Kapler was a first-year manager when he got here two years ago. Uh, wasn't all that well-received, probably wasn't as secure as he could have been or should have been in year two maybe it was a little more difficult for him to be comfortable in who he was because uh he doesn't know who he is yet as a manager the, the one other thing about joe is, is he just really has an eye for things uh, i asked him about damon jones the other day and he just his answer 
you know, what, what stands out to you? And his answer was so precise, he, he immediately went to the slider and why it impressed him so much. And that's a catcher's eye, you know. He's, he's catchers, I just think, especially somebody who's been around the game as long as him, just have an eye for the game that, you know, a lot of other people don't because they're just constantly seeing the game from a position nobody else does. And I, I don't think that has left Joe in his managing days. I think he still v views the game in that, similar, uh, in that similar vision that he did from behind home plate. Yeah, and we're talking about how we've dealt with Joe Girardi this week, but uh, the players also are dealing with Joe Girardi for the first time for the most part this week. And players told me this week that, He's a he's a pro. He's a there's a sense of pro professionalism in the clubhouse this year that that was missing the last two years with with Gabe Kapler and you know some of the coaches that have since left. Scott, you talked to Aaron Nola and Aaron Nola kind of a little bit similar kind of lines that what he had to say about the pitching coach and what what kind of did you glean about how Aaron Nola is going to work now without Chris Young? Yeah, you know, I, it, it occurred to me that. Um, Brian Price is Aaron Nola's fourth pitching coach in the last four years. So I started our conversation by asking him, you know, what his first impressions were of Brian Price and noting that he's had four of these pitching coaches. And right off the bat, he said something to the effect of, you know, he's not going to change the way pitching has always been throughout baseball history. And he went into what he thought of Kranitz. You know, Rick Kranitz was someone he admired greatly. Um, believe he called him the best pitching coach he's ever had. And then he brought Bob McClure into the conversation and he talked about how simple he made things. Left unsaid was that, you know, he didn't mention Chris Young. And I, it was Aaron Nola's way of saying, you know, we're going back to normal here. We're going back to basics. This is the way pitching's always been taught. And, you know, I thought it was very telling. And then he continued on that train with, you know, talking about not treating every pitcher the same way. So, um, you know, I think you could say the same for Girardi versus Kapler. I think it's going back to the way baseball has always been, and I think the players kind of appreciate that. Does it remind you of Jack Russell, Bob? Does this remind me of Jack Russell? Beautiful, beautiful spectrum field. The way baseball, baseball always has been. been. The way, well, yeah. Right, is Joe Girardi turning the clocks back to 1992? Um, Joe, you know, it's it, it, no because he's not. He's not all. He also has. You know, the analytics people haven't left. We still see the Army have analytics people around here. So they haven't left, and they're not leaving. But he's incorporated old-school baseball into the analytics age, uh, which, which just seemed really needed. And, you know, getting back to the, the Brian Price thing, you know, this team is going to rely, not rely on the high fastball and strikeout rates and all that. That part of it is going to be different, much different than – than what we saw from the previous regime because they 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 just don't think that's what they need to do. Speaking of Brian Price, the pitching coach, there will be a competition that he'll be overseeing starting really this week. Maybe he started already for the fifth starter, Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin, who who I, I thought coming in the camp already had a spot in the rotation, but technically he's competing. Um, Ranger Suarez, Cole Irvin, you can throw in a bunch of those names. Scott, where, where do you think that competition stands as, as we sit here on Thursday and we're or Wednesday and we're a couple of days from the first game of the uh, of, of spring? Yeah, so Girardi has already uh, lined up his starters for the first three games. Nick Pavetta right out of the gate on Saturday, which I thought was super interesting given that um, he's fighting for that fifth starter spot and Girardi's wasting no time in getting a look at those guys. Um, 
someone he'll be fighting against, Vince Velasquez, gets the third start um, on on Monday, and in between Aaron Nola, I think that's just a case of counting backwards from March 26th and figuring out how to slot him in so he's ready for opening day. But, you know, two of the first three games, you get Pavetta and Velasquez right away. And Joe Girardi said, look, I'm not going to make too much out of that first start, maybe even the first two starts. But, you know, there's no question he's trying to use every available day that they have to evaluate um, uh, Pavetta, Velasquez. And for that matter, I'm sure Cole Irvin and Suarez, as you mentioned, uh, for that spot. So I think it's very much an open competition for the fifth starter. And what I'm interested in is where the runner-up goes. You know, do you... Do you automatically take, you know, the Pavetta Velasquez loser and put him in the bullpen, or do you keep him stretched out, send him to Triple A, knowing that you're going to need him? It's it's going to be kind of an interesting decision for me, as much as who wins that spot is is how they, you know, how they preserve that sixth and seventh and eighth starter spot, which they know they're going to need. I, I think they have enough depth in in the minor leagues with with a Cole Irvin, uh, it'll, you know, Ranger if he's in the bullpen. You know, I, I think he's going to just end up being a bullpen piece. Uh, but, you know, a Damon Jones, that you, I think you start with either Velasquez or Pavetta in the bullpen, whichever who, whichever one loses the, the competition. One of the things, just going back to old school Joe, uh, one of the things he said that I found interesting was, yes, the results down here is, are going to matter. A lot of managers today, oh, no, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's not just all about the results. It's about this and that. But – you know what? He he wants a serious competition, and he he's very happy to have that competition. I don't think he's upset at all that he doesn't have five starters. He's like, show it to me, prove it to me. He's and he's eager to see what each one of them have. And I think that's why he hasn't you know committed to Zach Eflin yet, because even though Matt, I agree with you, I think I think Eflin certainly has the inside track on a job, if not already has one. I don't think Girardi necessarily wants Eflin to know that or to think that way. So he wants him to go out and pitch for it also. I mean, you know Nola's in and you know Wheeler and Arietta are in, but you know, he doesn't have to make any guarantees to Zach Eflin just yet. Right, and you let's let's see how things shake out. If if Zach Eflin comes out and he you know, the, Joe Girardi knows what he's looking at. Brian Price knows what he's looking at. If he's, you know, a, a, an example of last year is Victor Arano pitched very well in 2018. He came out here last year, and he just couldn't get anybody out. Uh, you know, so and he, wasn't on the team on opening and, day. And he wasn't on the team on opening day. So why guarantee something when you don't have to? Yeah, I think Eflin proved last year that he separated himself from the Pavetta and Velasquez. But you guys are right. What's it? I mean, he, he didn't. I don't think it's an insult to say he's competing here in Clearwater, but if we put him on, let's assume that he is the fourth starter, and if we narrow, I think the you can narrow down the fifth starter to Pavetta or Velasquez, maybe Ranger Suarez, just because of how much talk there has been about Ranger Suarez. But reading the tea leaves, and he's left-handed and he throws a little bit off speed, but reading the tea leaves, Nick Pavetta, it seems like every time Matt Klintak talked or Joe Girardi talked in that first week of camp. It was all about Nick Pavetta, and they almost, you know, didn't reference Vince Velasquez. Is that to build Pavetta's confidence, or do you, do you think Pavetta comes into camp as the favorite for that fifth job? I mean, I think they maybe just think that Velasquez profiles better as a as the bullpen guy than than Pavetta. You know, I, I think we all thought last year that Pavetta would be the guy. Uh, I think we all had, it, when we went into last spring training, it, it would be, uh, I think we put them in order, it was like Pavetta, Eflin, or Velasquez, or Pavetta, uh, Eflin, Velasquez. But Pavetta was at the top of that list both, both times, and he ended up probably of the three being the least effective. 
Yeah, I'm I'm myself am really interested in watching him this spring only because, you know, I had a chance to talk to him a few weeks ago back when he was still at home in California. He moved to California from Canada uh, this offseason and he had a really interesting offseason, you know, at his agent's suggestion, he moved to LA and he worked out with a bunch of pitchers who are represented by the same agency, including some names that, you know, have had success, Jack Flaherty and Lucas Giolito and yeah, I'm really interested to see Pavetta myself because I had a chance to talk to him a few weeks ago um, about his offseason and had a really interesting offseason. His agent suggested that he move to California. Uh, he's Canadian. He lives in Western Canada. His agent suggested that he move to California, to L.A. to work out with some young and more accomplished pitchers who are represented by their agency like Jack Flaherty and Lucas Giolito and, and Noah Syndergaard even was there and... Um, you know, Pavetta talked a lot about working on his changeup, and I think his changeup might be the you know the key for him whether he's a starter or not. He needs that he needs that fourth pitch, and uh, Giolito's got a really good changeup. He talked to him a lot about his grip and what he does, and um, if if Pavetta comes out and really looks good um, and looks like he's improved quite a bit from last year, I'm not saying it's his job to lose, but you know maybe he's the favorite for the fifth starter. Yeah, he. Uh, I remember last spring we were talking about his changeup too, and then, then he, he threw it a lot in camp, and then once the season started, he hardly threw it. And remember, Bob, Aaron Nola's changeup, how that kind of took him to the next level once he learned how to – like he obviously had the curveball and he had a fastball, but once he learned that third pitch, it just accentuates everything else to be, be that much better. It, it just – it changes everything for a starting pitcher especially. It's, it, you can't really win in this league with two pitches. Uh, you need at least three and preferably four. Uh, and for the other thing, to get back to Rivetta for a second, it's early in camp, but he's, he seems to have come to camp with a little more of a mature attitude than we've seen from the past. He's been, you know, not, for lack of a better way, sometimes Nick could seem like he was really full of himself. And he does not, he has not exuded that kind of uh, – personality so far in this camp you know we'll see it's it's easy to when everything when nothing no bullets have hit the anything yet <laughs> but we'll you know hopefully that'll continue for him can often be humbled by failure so maybe a rough season really you know did humble him his agent kind of alluded to that when I spoke to him in the offseason he said look I can't I can't go out and pitch for him but I could put him in a better position to pitch better. And that's what they were trying to do. And I think in saying that, he was saying, look, I, I can't, I can't uh, be more mature for him, but I can help him become more mature. And there's, there's not the only competition in camp. Isn't the fourth and fifth starter? There's also a competition on the bench. But one of the competition, maybe that's not getting a lot of attention, is center field. Is Adam Hazley was almost christened as the everyday center fielder at the winter meetings, just about. But – uh, Joe Girardi said earlier this week that Roman Quinn could push him for that job and that maybe there is a competition in center field. Do you fast forward to March 26th, we're in Miami, Bob, is Adam Hazley definitely starting in center field? I, can't, I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can turn your back on, on Roman Quinn's ability to play the game. We all know that the list of injuries is long and frustrating uh, but there have been times when, you know, sm these small spurts when he's been healthy where you look at him and say, wow, can you imagine having that in a lineup, you know, either at the top of the order or the bottom of the order with that kind of speed and his ability to play the outfield where, you, I, I, you know, 
if if he didn't have that talent, he'd probably be gone by now. With all, if he hadn't shown those flashes, he'd probably be gone by now. But he has, uh, and you know, in fairness to Hazy and the little uh, example he had, although he got hurt too right away, but he he showed you know potential as a as a decent player. Uh, you know, I don't think either one is going to be a superstar, but you know, you, you have two former MVPs on either side of them. Uh, if they can play the position well, you know, the, the Phillies might not be in such a bad situation in center field. Yeah, and it goes to what we've talked about in regard to the luxury tax, which has gotten so much attention. You know, the payroll is a seesaw, and you need – Bryce Harper alluded to this. You need guys on the other end of the seesaw, right, so that it balances itself out a little bit. And Hazley and Quinn don't make a lot of money, and the Phillies need them both on the team, and they need them both to be good. Uh, Quinn's a switch hitter. You know, Hazley bats from the left side, so – you could see a scenario where maybe they split some time, at least, um, if Quinn can stay healthy and is good. I just think the front office likes Adam Hazley so much, and he's a former first-round pick, and I think they really want to give him a chance to fail before they take the opportunity away from him. So I think he's the front-runner. I think he's, a, I guess, a fairly strong front-runner. But, no, I see what you're saying, that if Roman Quinn can stay on the field, he's definitely going to push him. And it's not just like, you know, they're going to roll out Adam Hazley every day if he's batting 100. I mean, he's got to produce. The, the, the other interesting thing in this equation, and it's probably never going to come to light, but is that Odubel Herrera is in Clearwater, is here in Clearwater in the minor league camp. Um, you know, and he's no longer on the roster. But He who shall not be it, mentioned. It, 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 well, it would be, and, you know, from all, all the people I've talked to, he showed up in incredible shape. He's had a great attitude about, you know, we're, we're early in this thing, obviously. But what happens if Odubo Herrera is all of a sudden, these two guys up here are struggling or one of them gets hurt, and Odubo Herrera's hitting 350 in Lehigh Valley. What do the Phillies do? I just, I just think, you know, obviously there's their ifs, but that's a fascinating if to me. It's a huge if, and it could happen. And that's if he even makes it to Lehigh Valley. It, it, it is. It, it is. But, you know, say he lights it up down here. He's, you know, they brought him here. If I'm them, I'm paying him. I might as well look at him. And he's not going to ask for his release. So, because if he asks for his release, he gives up 20 plus million dollars. So I think, I think, you know, unless he gives them a reason to release him, uh, he's going to be in Lehigh Valley, I, I guess. Back, back to Quinn and Hazley. I, I just. I like the idea of Roman Quinn on the bench when a late-inning guy coming off the bench to pinch run or pinch hit can play, play defense. Yeah, can play pretty much any um, any of the three outfield spots. But also, I think his health is his biggest factor. And maybe if you can play, keep him on the bench, you can kind of con- control his playing time a little load bit. Load management. Yeah, load management. I hate load I management. I think that's the best way to keep him healthy is to uh, to kind of keep Joe him on the bench. Plan. But he he has, like you said, he has looked really well, and it is it was a great point I thought that you made that Bob that he said you said if it was anybody else he probably wouldn't be here. And it, it it wouldn't. He, I mean the guy's been hurt every single season since they drafted him, and it's amazing he's still here, still getting chances because of what that potential is. Gabe was so infatuated with the potential, and now Joe Girardi has talked about him. So it's like. It wasn't a Gabe thing or a Matt Klintak thing. It's really just almost anybody who gets eyes on Roman Quinn is infatuated with Roman Quinn. I uh, This sounds weird to say because it's center field and it's a premium position, but how much do they need out of these guys too, you got to think? Because, you know, ideally you, you mentioned you have MVPs, former MVPs on either side of them. You have um, 
you have stars in the infield like D.D. Gregorius and Reese Hoskins, and you have a star catcher. You get more out of catcher than any other. So don't you really need Hazley and Quinn to just go out there, catch everything that's hit to center field and bat eighth and, you know, represent all right from the eighth spot? You know, I think that's probably what they're looking for out of their center fielder. If they can do league average yeah. from, from, from the center field spot, they'd be, I'm sure they'd be very happy with that. But one, one more thing. Let's never use the word load management again. I, I'm sure a millennial came up with that, that term, load management. I don't think so. Cause it, Sam Hinkie's probably not a millennial, and that the Sixers is like the first thing I Sam can— Sam Hinkie's on the border of being a millennial. If he's not a millennial, should have been a millennial. I think Spencer Howard is going to make us talk about load management all summer long. We've done this podcast for about— what fifteen minutes? You hate millennials, and you hate. No, no, what, what, hate what was the other group? Analytic the, people. Analytics. There's analytics people. The army of analytics. They're still here. It's more like a militia I to you, no though. I have no problem with being here. I, no problem. I love everybody. You do. I do. Oh, you, you know, you're all you about know the love. I love everybody yeah. too. You love everybody zero <laughs> percent. Therefore, you. It's all equal. Um, and it, talk about the MVPs next to Roman Quinn or Adam Hazel in center field. Andrew McCutcheon, how many, can we count on him being healthy? I mean, it's, I know it's early to say, so it's really kind of taking a guess. But uh, if he's, I don't think he's, if he's on the, if he's active on opening day, I don't think he's active to play every single day. So that could help. That you know yeah. you're going to have reps in center for these two guys, but you're also going to have to spell along with Jay Bruce in, in left field to spell Andrew McCutcheon. So there's more. I think there's more opportunity than just uh, their time in center field. Yes, that that's absolutely true. Uh, you're probably going to have to have some load management with him. Yes, he doesn't want to hear it because he's played 150 <laughs> some games right. every year. But I, I I will I will say this. I believe this about Andrew McCutcheon that whatever needed to be or was supposed to be done for him to get ready to play this season, um, Andrew McCutcheon has done it. I'm convinced of that. I mean, when you listen to him, I don't think I've ever heard maybe a few, but not many people who are as dedicated to their craft as Andrew McCutcheon. And, and you, you listen to him talk about his rehab. He, he wasn't taking days off. You know, he talked, he talked about how I'm going to be stronger than I ever was in that area because of how much work he put into it. And I believe him because he just, he, he comes across convincingly. And now we're going to wrap this up with a question from the mailbag from our extra innings at inquire.com email address. If you're, you're, email there you've probably read our newsletter extra innings which is in your mailbox during the season five days a week during spring training three days a week mondays our question comes from fran b fran wants to know i i see a lot of the competition and the starting rotation in the in the center field but what about the competition for the bench any any name standing out early on um i don't know about standing out but uh there are a lot of names and a lot of names that people know you know, Neil Walker, Logan Forsythe, Josh Harrison. These are guys who've been in the big leagues a long time, pushing 10 years in some cases. And, you know, as far as I see it, there are two spots on the bench to be won. You know, you've got uh, backup catchers, Andrew Knapp, he's on the team, and Jay Bruce is on the team, and um, Roman Quinn probably is on the team. And then, you know, you've got two more spots with the extra roster spot this year. So, you know, I think they're all going to get good long looks in spring training, and they're all going to be in a position to win a job, and I think one of them, probably at least one of them, does. So, you know, do you want Neil Walker, who's got some pop, and he's a switch hitter, and he could play first base? They don't really have a backup first baseman. I guess Jay Bruce in a pinch could do that. 
Uh, do you go with Forsythe, who's an up-the-middle player and can play everywhere on the infield? So can Harrison. Do you go with a guy like uh, like the kid they just acquired from the Dodgers, Kyle Garlick, you know, who's got power and he's a right-handed hitting outfielder? They're going to have some some looks at guys in spring training. Yeah, I, you know, if I had to bet, I, I might bet on a Josh Harrison. Um, although the middle infield thing is not as huge as it might be because they can all the three guys who play the infield can all right. play shortstop, and that's very helpful for right. them. Um, you know. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I'm sure that all all of them being veteran guys, most of them, uh, probably all of them, have out clauses yeah. in their contracts. So you know, as we get close to the end of spring training, we'll see some of them leaving and trying to get jobs elsewhere. I'm going to say Neil Walker is my is my front runner guy. Just just my opinion there, um, given that he profiles a little differently, right, than Forsyth or Harrison. He can play the corners both first and third. Um, they need. They more so need a backup at first than they do at third. Uh, and, you know, he's got more pop than the other guys, too. So he could come off the bench and maybe hit you a home run. And I think he's got more bench experience than, you know, than, than a Jay Bruce even. So, I mean, he might be productive in that role. He came off the bench a lot last year and did well. Yeah. He also has great numbers at Citizens Bank Park, but somebody emailed me when I wrote that a couple weeks ago that, I mean, that's great that he has great history at Citizens Bank Park, but that also means he won't be facing those same pitchers. <laughs> so is it the ballpark or the pitchers that he was hitting hitting very, against? And some of his better Pirates teams were playing very bad Phillies teams. Yes. Even when they played the good Phillies teams, they used to yeah. beat the Phillies for some yeah. reason. But I think Josh Harrison, it just it, which really it's just going on paper. You, you see his track record, two-time All-Star, was really like an elite player in his prime. Yeah. But I so I, I put him on the roster early on. I put Neil Walker on the roster because of his track record. But really, you're going to find out if these guys fell off a cliff or if they still can, you know, find themselves where they were three years ago. Because no one was really that impressive last year. Numbers are right. below average to average. Walker was about as good as I mean, he was closer to league average than the. I mean, Harrison fell off a cliff in sure. Detroit, yeah. and uh, Forsythe. We haven't even mentioned Goslin, who was probably right. the best pinch hitter. I think right. He was their best yeah. pinch hitter last year. Right. Throw him in that mix too. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing. If if Josh Harrison's got got the name that Phil Goslin doesn't, but Phil Goslin might still have the ability, and maybe Josh Harrison, like you said, he fell off a cliff. He was injured. He didn't, hasn't played since early last year with the Tigers, so we don't we don't we know he was a two-time All-Star, but we really don't know what he has left, and that, that's what we're here to find out over five weeks in Clearwater is gonna gonna help us find that out. And you know they all have to be added to the 40-man roster too, and you know there are f- there are non-roster relievers who are going to factor into this too, like Lirian- Francisco Liriano and Anthony Swarzak. So I don't think they can take like four of those NRIs and put them all on the team because I don't know if they have four 40-man roster spots to spare. So it might be one on the bench, one in the bullpen, or maybe two on the bench, none in the bullpen. But good point. That is a really good point. And then that's, they're going to have to do a lot of math at the end of this to see how many like dead weight spots, for lack of a better what, term, there are on the 40. Who can they afford to lose? And then who can they – like they removed J.D. Hammer from the 40 uh, last week, but they right. kept him. So who can they afford to – removed from the 40 but also kind of stashed in the minor leagues yeah i mean the last guy they took off the 40 right was nick martini who they just acquired in the offseason so uh, you know uh, that might be an indication that they like the most of the guys on the 40-man roster that's true and and if on that bullpen any i know it's still it's so hard because you, you know you see guys throwing bullpens but 
it's really, I think, the best way to gauge it is once the games begin. But any names standing out so far in the bullpen battle? It's the same thing as the bench, where it's a lot of veterans, names you might have heard of or you knew before, but I, I trying to keep their I careers alive. I think Mariano's a guy they, yeah. they really like. I mean, he, he had a very good season for the Pirates last year. It was his first really full season as a reliever. There was a transition to make. But I think one of the things they probably really liked about him is he took the ball a lot. He appeared in 70 games, which is a ton for a reliever. Um, so, you know, I think they like that, and they, I think they still like his breaking ball a lot. So we'll, and he's a lefty, so we'll, we'll, I think he's got a real shot of making this team. Yeah, I mean, lefties are going to have to get out left, lefties and righties this year because of the new three batter rule. So, you know, that does that impact a guy like Adam Morgan, who's been historically way better against lefties than righties? And would it help to have a guy like Liriano who can, throughout his career, he's been able to get out both as a starter? So he's interesting to me probably more so than some of the others. I mean, just going back on track record, you know, how much can you depend on Bud Norris, who didn't pitch all year last year, and, and, and Storin, who was hurt for most of the year. I think a lot of this, too, is going to depend on when those out clauses are. You know, if a guy has an out clause in June versus another guy who's got one on April 15th, you're going to take the April 15th guy and stash the June guy if there's not much of a difference in ability. So um, lots of factors will go into all this. Bryce Harper said Bud Norris could be a gold mine for the Phillies this year. He mentioned Storin too, right? He did, but the gold His ex-teammate. Yeah. For whatever reason, maybe Bryce Harper's the assistant GM now. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But that assistant is Assistant GM? We will, we will find out. Well, he, he also made a point about Chris Bryant. He's got – Maybe he's the GM. He's got an eye on Damon <laughs> Jones. It's just – the guy – I'll give the guy credit. He knows the he system He knows what up he's and doing. Down. And he's, he's the only one guaranteed to be here in the next 12 years. That's yeah. very true. <laughs> You're right. He's going to outlast everyone. Even us. All right, for Bob Brookover and Scott Lauber, I'm Matt Breen from Spectrum Field here in Clearwater. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening to Extra Innings, a Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer.